0: One of my favorite Christian movies is the one entitled, Do You Believe? You ever seen that movie before? It's a story that's unique because it follows 12 different characters and what is going on with their lives. God is at work with them throughout the movie, but it kind of comes to a head in the final dramatic scene where there is a multi-car accident on a bridge and many of these characters cross paths. I couldn't help but watch the ending again yesterday, and it is a very powerful ending there. Um, people are rescued. Baby is born. Several people die. I don't want to spoil it all for you, but you know it has been out five years, so you've had an opportunity to see it. But it's a great movie, and it also shows and kind of given a snapshot how God can use the same event here in this movie, this multi-car accident here on the bridge, to bring about different purposes and plans for each person. The same event might stir a non-Christian to have faith for the first time in Jesus Christ, while the same event might stir a Christian to recommit to following Christ because they kind of have veered off course. So that movie really does a nice job of giving an encapsulation of how God in His great wisdom and power controls the world. And we see that same dynamic in our passage today from the book of Jonah, how God can weave together circumstances and be accomplishing his plans in different ways through the characters that we read about in the story. And we know that he's doing the same thing in our lives today. Now, last week, we began the book of Jonah. And if you recall, God commands the prophet to go to Nineveh. This was a great city in the Assyrian Empire, and God wanted Jonah to preach against this city for their great evil. Assyria was the reigning superpower of this region, and it was also notorious for its cruelty to those that it conquered. Now, God, what was surprising about this commission is because God, he does commission prophets to speak about Gentile nations. But what was unique about Jonah's situation is that God commissioned him to actually go to that Gentile nation. What did Jonah do in response to this commission, this calling from God? Well, we saw how he rebelled, and he rebelled in a big way, didn't he? He fled in the opposite direction showed this map last week about how he was supposed to go east, about 500 miles northeast to Nineveh, and instead he went due west entirely all the way to Tarshish, somewhere in the Mediterranean. Jonah no longer wanted to be a prophet. Incredible rebellion that Jonah showed. That's where we left off. As we resume Today, in our passage, the story continues to revolve around God and Jonah. Jonah is the main human actor in the story, if you will, and there, this, there remains this continued focus on his rebellion. But also, as the story now broadens, it includes the Gentile sailors on board the ship that Jonah was hiring to take him away. And the ending of our passage dramatically shows how God is not only dealing with the prophet Jonah, but he's encompassed these Gentile sailors, and he has a plan and purpose for them as well. In other words, just like the movie, Do You Believe?, God is able to take that same event and accomplish his plans and purposes for Jonah and for the sailors. His purpose is different for each of them, but he has a purpose nonetheless. So let me invite you to turn to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 4, and that's Jonah chapter 1. While you're turning there, uh, I did notice that there were a few comments about the very witty puns that I put in to the sermon last week about Jonah, and I'm sure some of you were probably hoping that I would include a few more today. Well, Rest assured, I'm going to do that. But I want you to know, I'm not going to go overboard (laughs) with these puns, because I would sure hate to sink the sermon, and for you guys to think I'm a very shallow preacher. But we move on, and hold your breath. Don't hold your breath, actually. There might be a few more (laughs) in today's message, so listen closely. Well, let's move on here. The first part of our passage is the Lord's response to Jonah's rebellion. The Lord's response to Jonah's rebellion. Let's read verses 4 to 6 together. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the sea and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So here we see that sovereignty of God and bringing out God's plan for Jonah, which is to go to Nineveh and to preach to the city. And God begins by sending this mighty storm. He not only sends it, but as it says there, he hurls the storm. It's actually the Hebrew word there for hurl was sometimes used to speak of a weapon, like someone hurling a spear. God hurls this tremendous storm. This was a remarkable storm that God sent. To them, And even these experienced sailors were terrified in the midst of this storm. These sailors were likely Phoenician sailors. Phoenicia was a civilization just north of Palestine. They spoke a language similar uh, to Hebrew, so Jonah would have been able to communicate with them. We also read there how the Phoenicians were polytheists, meaning they had a God for this and a God for that. They probably had their different gods that they would call to in trials and circumstances. And so, uh, and here in this situation, they're calling out to whatever God they thought might help them. And while all of this is going on, where's Jonah? Where's Jonah? Well, he is sound asleep, as it says there. There was a flashback to verse 3. Where it talked about how Jonah went down into the ship and he fell asleep there. Uh, One writer said that Jonah probably was where they held the cargo underneath. And so he was down there, and as the storm was raging, the crew came down and they got the cargo out of there to lighten the load on the ship, to, you know, of course, increase the ship's buoyancy. And while they're down there getting the cargo out, what do they find? They find Jonah. Sound asleep, so the captain wakes him up and asks him to pray. Now the captain's mindset shows kind of the the attitude of of pagan religion. Religion really isn't so much about truth as it is about function. Whatever works for you, that is really what prayer would be about. Sadly, a lot of times that's the way many people see prayer today. Prayer is just in the moment of crisis to kind of get you out of that ordeal. But it's not about a relationship. Now, of course, we know that once we've come to know God personally through Christ, prayer changes, doesn't it? I remember before I became a Christian, I probably prayed a handful of times in my life, and they probably all had to deal with just getting me out of a trial or circumstance. But once you come to know the Lord, then God wants to have a conversation with you throughout the day. So the first part is the Lord's response to Jonah's rebellion. The second part is the discovery of Jonah's rebellion. Verses 7 through 10. Read along with me, if you will. And they said to one another, speaking of the sailors there, "'Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us.' So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, "'Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. "'What is your occupation? "'And where do you come from? "'What is your country?' And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So these sailors received no answers in their prayers from their gods, and so they turned to each other and decided to cast lots To get some insight and see who the culprit was behind the storm. Now, casting lots was a common way in the ancient world to try to discern what was truly going on in a situation. Now, you might wonder, what would that look like? What did it mean when they said they cast lots? Well, one writer describes it this way. He says, quote, the basic procedure involves small stones or other Marked are op- other objects marked in such a way as to represent individuals or commodities, the marked lot objects were then cast into a receptacle of some kind. The receptacle was then shaken until one of the marked lot objects fell out, which thus in- indicated the divinely designated individual or item excuse me or item so casting lots were seen as a way to you know find out things so. It's a little different than, let's say, like modern-day gambling where people just think it's just blind luck. For people in the, in the ancient world, they saw the supernatural in everything. And so they saw casting lots as a way to sort of discern what the, the supernatural direction was. And it's interesting, even in the Bible, the Old Testament itself doesn't forbid the usage of lots, okay? Um, but the, the problem here was that these sailors were looking to pagan gods that did not exist, they needed to look to the one true God who himself controls even something minute and seemingly luck like a lot being cast. Proverbs 16.33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God's sovereign over all things, once again, as we see. And here, as they cast the lot, they see that Jonah is the one who is to blame for the storm. So the sailors proceed to ask Jonah a whole series of questions. They wanted to stay current, stay current with Jonah's situation. They were wondering, what are you up to? What are you up to? Adam's about to pass out there in the back, <laughs> he's laughing but I don't know if he's laughing with me or at me. But anyway, they apparently, these soldiers, knew nothing about Jonah. Maybe because he was asleep the whole time and they didn't have a lot of conversation that was taking place there. So Jonah, when he finally comes out and starts answering their questions, he says that he's a Hebrew and that he believed in God, the maker of heaven and of earth. He also says that he feared the Lord. This is a very important phrase that you see quite often in both the Old and the New Testament. And what the fear of the Lord was, what that phrase encapsulated was really the essential mindset that someone was to have toward God, to have a combination of awe and reverence and dread that we would see God as our creator and judge and want to follow him. So we would fear the Lord in that way. Now, of course... You obviously are are wondering in your heart, Jonah says he fears the Lord. Isn't it kind of ironic that he is doing the exact opposite of obeying God? He is fleeing, going in the opposite direction of God's will for him. But that's where Jonah was at at this point. Now, upon hearing this, the sailors were shocked that Jonah would defy God as well as put them in harm's way. Look again at verse 10. It says there, what is this? this is what they said to him. What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So Jonah tells them why he fled. And the sailors were deeply afraid of God's judgment. If Jonah's God was the maker of heaven and earth, boy, they were now in harm's way. And Jonah was the culprit. They discovered Jonah's rebellion. Now we come to the third part of our passage, the solution to Jonah's rebellion, the solution to Jonah's rebellion. Verse 11 and follow says, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So the sailors, they looked to Jonah for guidance, since he was a prophet of God, and they wanted to know, what, should, what kind of punishment should we administer to you? Jonah, though, he knows the storm is a result of his rebellion to God. And so he wants them to throw him overboard. If he goes overboard, then the storm would be calm. I think God somehow revealed this to Jonah. This wouldn't be something that Jonah just figured out on his own, but God must have revealed to Jonah, this is what needs to take place. And so Jonah tells them to throw him overboard. Now the question in your mind might be is, was Jonah's willingness to lay down his life? Was he having a moment of kind of noble virtue and sacrifice, or was this a suicidal rebellion? Was he determined to risk his or resist this task no matter what, even if it cost him his life? Well, I would say I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think Jonah at this point surely cared for these men. He saw how they treated him so well. I don't think he wanted anything bad to happen to this crew. But on the other hand, if he simply wanted to calm the storm, what could Jonah have done? He could have repented, right? And told them to take him back to the land because he was going to go to Nineveh. And if he had done so, the storm would have been calmed. But so far, there's no evidence at all that Jonah actually repented. He admitted his wrongdoing, that he was fleeing from the Lord. He no longer wanted to be a prophet, but there's no evidence that he had repented. He was so hardened in his heart toward what God wanted him to do that he would rather die than to go to Nineveh. And indeed, later in the book, Jonah expresses a wish to die two times because he's so upset about this task. Interestingly, these sailors, though, They don't listen to Jonah. They ignore his proposal, don't they? And they try to row him back to shore. It's interesting, in in the Hebrew there, the word row really means to dig. They were digging in their oars into the water. They were trying and straining really hard to make it to shore. But it was pointless. The storm was too strong. There was no way they were getting back to shore And, unfortunately, the storm was about to destroy the ship. So now we get to that final part of our passage, the outcome of Jonah's rebellion, the outcome of Jonah's rebellion. Verse 14 to 16 says, "'Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you.' So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging." Then the the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So the sailors cry out to the Lord for forgiveness for what they're about to do, and then they throw Jonah overboard, and amazingly, just as Jonah had predicted, the storm was calm. It was an amazing display of the power of God, which these pagan sailors would have never have seen before. Now, people debate whether or not these sailors genuinely placed their faith in the Lord. Now, it's impossible to know for sure because we don't read a whole lot about what transpired there, but I believe the text indicates that these sailors really did become followers of the Lord. Let me mention four reasons here. First of all, the sailors seemed to know God. God revealed himself to them, and you see a difference, don't you, in their prayers. They no longer prayed to their pagan gods, but they prayed to the Lord. And also, they were open to Jonah as a prophet of God who gave them revelation, and their knowledge of him is accurate. Notice how They describe God as the one who does as he pleases. They recognize that God is indeed sovereign over all things. Secondly, the sailors make vows and sacrifices after their deliverance. You know, it's one thing for people to make vows and sacrifices in the midst of a great crisis or storm, right? They say, well, God, if you get me out of this, then I'll start reading the Bible or I'll start going to church or whatever that vow might be. But it's another thing for them to do it afterwards. Because what happens is people sometimes get out of those storms and they don't follow through with any of those vows and sacrifices. But these sailors, they are delivered. And then they do follow up on those vows and sacrifices. They didn't need to do these things to get anything from God. They already had been delivered. But they do follow up in worshiping God and praising the Lord. To me, it shows me that they were indeed committed to God. Third, the sailors' conversion was a foreshadowing of Nineveh. This is just kind of a foretaste of what's going to happen in chapter 3 when Jonah goes to Nineveh, and God brings thousands of people to himself. So I think, as I've said before, Jonah's an incredibly well-crafted book. It's kind of a glimpse of what God is going to do in the conversion of Nineveh. And then lastly, as we said, the sailors feared the Lord. Again, that's that that essential mindset that a believer is supposed to have toward God. And these sailors now had it. If you were paying attention, you might have noticed how that word fear came up quite a bit in our passage. In verse 5, it talked about how the sailors were afraid of death. And then in verse 10, it talked about how they were afraid of divine judgment. But now, when we get to verse 16 we see that that fear had matured and a knowledge had developed of a fear of the Lord. So I think the Lord orchestrated all of these circumstances, the storm, the casting of the lots, the words of Jonah, all to bring these sailors to a true knowledge and a true relationship with the Lord. Let me ask you, if you don't know God personally, Would you like to? And if you would, I'd like to approach the conversation this way. Let me go back to that concept of fear. Without God, all of us will fear something. You will fear other people. You will fear death. You will fear circumstances, or maybe all of them. God is the remedy for all of those fears. Let him transform your fears to the fear of the Lord. He takes away your fear of those things. And in place of it, you now have a fear of the Lord, a right and proper view of God as your judge and your creator. Now, people sometimes think that you should not fear God at all. But to the contrary, you should fear him as we've discussed here in this passage. Jesus says also in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 to 5, these words, Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear, fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So God has the power not only to take life, but he has the power to cast someone into hell. And Scripture warns that this is what happens to someone if their sins are not forgiven. So we should fear God. And here's the thing. When you do fear God, there is freedom from those other fears. You entrust yourself to Him who is sovereign over you and over all things. Friend, you can break the slavery that you are in bondage to today, a fear of this and a fear of that, if you will simply replace it with a fear of the Lord. And there's more. God is our creator and judge, but he's also infinitely loving. And he is willing to sacrifice himself so that we are forgiven. You see this in part in our story with Jonah. He was willing to die for the benefit of others, the sailors. Jonah's sacrifice is what calmed the storm, which is kind of a great symbol of the wrath of God. Likewise, Jesus died as a sacrifice for others. His sacrifice calmed the storm, the eternal, sacrifice, the eternal wrath of God. However, whereas Jonah, he was punished for his own sin, his own disobedience, Jesus was punished for our disobedience. He died for our sins. And he takes all of the divine wrath so that none is left. The storm of judgment is calmed. Friend, to experience this, Scripture declares that you must receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You do not save yourself because like Jonah, All of us stand guilty. We need someone to take our place. We need a Savior. So we need to humble ourselves to realize our need for redemption and to believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it is very common for the Lord to send a storm into your life to get your attention so that you will be drawn to him. That is the outcome that he desires from these storms. We all have heard of the song Amazing Grace. But do you know the story of the person who wrote it, John Newton? As a young man, Newton joined the British Navy, and he lived a debauched life. He had a reputation where he could cuss for two hours straight without repeating himself. He was very sinful, but at least he was creative. He developed a reputation in all of this of just living this incredibly sinful life. Well, eventually, he'd left the Navy, and he went to Africa so he could just plunge headlong into sin, do whatever he wanted. He fell into hardship and almost died several times. Eventually, he rejoined the Navy. And later, while he was sailing through a rough storm, It looked like the ship was going to sink, and he was told to go down into the hold of the boat to pump water. He was terrified, and the storm lasted for days. He was convinced he was going to die. And while he was down in there pumping that water, he remembered Bible verses that he had heard as a child, and he grew painfully aware of his own sin and of God's righteousness. Down in that ship, Newton came to trust Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Well, the ship survived, and Newton eventually went on to study theology. He was a very distinguished evangelist, even preaching to the Queen of England herself. He truly lived the words of the song he wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Has the Lord sent a storm into your life? This can be a good thing because it makes us take spiritual inventory and think about eternal matters. These things are what we need to be, fo- what we need to be focusing on. Your time is fleeting. What will we do? Well, you can experience God's saving grace through a personal relationship with Christ. Like the sailors and like John Newton, call on the Lord and you too will be saved. Finally, I just want to return to Jonah for a moment in his rebellion. At numerous points, we see uh, the incredible negative contrast between Jonah the prophet and these pagan sailors. Jonah, during the storm, was sound asleep and had to be dragged into action by the sailors. Also, the sailors look for supernatural help, and they are the ones who urge Jonah to pray. In contrast, Jonah shows really no interest in trying to save life, while the sailors do everything in their power to try to save his life. They ignore his proposal to. Uh, throw him overboard, and they try, and go the extra mile to try to save him by rowing to shore. And when they do throw him overboard, it is a last resort. What a contrast with Jonah. Finally, Jonah knows the Lord and claims to fear him, yet he disobeys. The sailors do not know the Lord. They only know about him, yet they obey God's prophet and ultimately learn to fear the Lord. In short, these sailors run to God. Jonah runs from God. He is continuing in his path of rebellion. But thankfully, God is not done with Jonah. What happens next? Well, the Lord is going to send a great fish to swallow Jonah. Next week, we're going to cover this famous scene And look at what was it that swallowed Jonah. Was it a shark? Was it a whale? Did this thing really happen? Can we believe that this was historical? And I think even more importantly, to see that God's remarkable mercy that he shows, that he is the God of second chances to rebellious believers, not just for Jonah, but for you and for I. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this remarkable story of the life of Jonah. And we pray that you would accomplish your purposes this morning. I pray for those who have heard the word through our live stream service that your spirit would lead and guide each one and how you want them to respond. As we said at the opening of the message, Lord. You take events and you accomplish your plans and purposes in different ways through those who are involved. And we know also, Lord, that your word impacts people in different ways. And so we pray for that now, that you would be glorified. God, we thank you for this time together. Pray that you would be magnified as we continue to serve and worship you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.